0: Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures Podcast. It's for clients, investors, our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. this is a five-part series on investment process. If there was a passion project at Coburn Ventures, investment process might be it. So we'll walk through a few tools and concepts that we hope might spark ideas or tweaks or even affirm your own investment process. And then we get to sit down with a few of our friends for additional conversation. I hope you enjoy it. The past few weeks, we've been discussing distinct elements of investment process, and now we get to sit down with two friends and industry veterans to just talk about it all. Many of you know both Jeff Cardin and Steve Salapek, or know of them, and both happen to come from the small-cap world and are longtime investors, portfolio managers, and leaders in the industry. Well, they're both now retired. And with some time and space away from the industry, as you might anticipate, our conversation covers a whole lot with great stories interwoven. We move from investment decision-making to structuring, money management firms, to teams, compensation, and culture. So what are we waiting for? Here's part one of our conversation with Jeff Cardin and Steve Salopek. Over the past few weeks, we've been having discussions about decision-making, a shorting mindset for long-only investors, and competition for capital. And these are all a lot about portfolio management, but more broadly about decision-making. And as we were designing this um, module, Pip and I were talking, and I said, wouldn't it be great to get Steve and Jeff together and we could all talk about um, decision-making? And they have these long careers and also the benefit of doing different things now. So there's been some time and space to look back and and the effective decisions and ineffective decisions um, maybe come into relief. So we're really excited to have you, Jeff, and you, Steve, here today. Um, Pip, why don't you um, bridge that over to some things you wanted to say, and then we're going to get into a few great stories.
1: Yeah, I I almost wanna just get right to Steve's worst decision-making ever, but we'll we'll just to tee things up just a little bit. What's cool about Jeff and Steve is they both have some distance. They both were in quotes, retired from the profession about five years ago. They both are very process heavy. They have operated theoretically in different spectrums of, of value, small cap, large cap, growth, all those. But I think they both just say we're investors. And sometimes that orientation of this type of that, like you just blow it out the window. So Bryn and I were just thinking about how much fun it would be to to learn from Jeff and to learn from Steve. Both of them also are teachers by trade. Jeff was uh, somewhat mercenarily would teach at the University of Utah in order to scoop up the best candidates when he was in the prime of his career, a genius move. Steve didn't figure that out because he had such a great team anyway, but now he's a tenured professor at Ohio State. I don't know. I want to jump in, Steve. You have a story. As we were setting up, I just said, "Hey, and Jeff or Steve, if you have a a story about a terrible decision you made, that might be getting us out of the gate really well." And Steve started laughing pretty hard. So there's something there, Steve, maybe to jump into.
2: Yeah. If uh, if you remember a long time ago, the uh, the MiFi cards, which uh, is essentially a uh, it's a cell phone that. it's a it's a wireless hotspot is really how it was uh, you know originally positioned and uh, it was pre you know that being you know in our iPhones and you know you can do calculations about how big is the market and we all want access to this and that and it goes back to you know Pip's comment about you know bad investment decisions that you made uh, we were very process heavy uh, you know everything you know, an, a, an important part of, you know, what we did was, you know, understanding secular change and trying to benefit from that, obviously. And then, you know, not being on the, you know, on the other side of that in terms of the disruption. And uh, there was a company that uh, made MiFi cards. You know, a very important part of our process was always, you know, it, you, you know, with an investment thesis, you uh, the other side of our process and part of this, you know, we had a previous conversation about red flags and part of our process was actually to disprove our investment thesis, Mm -hmm. which is different than that. It's, you know, that's different than raising a red flag. It's actually basically going through the process and basically disproving your investment thesis, which, uh, in the case of the, uh, my cards, uh, I think we were a little short on that.
1: <laughs> so and, what happened? Uh, and, you get, and let everyone know, you actually have, could, you could take it to show the yeah. audience who can't see it because this is audio only. But in his desk drawer, he has this MiFi card to torture him or why Why do you have such a torture device and bad uh, memory maker?
2: Yeah, this, this MiFi card actually has not been functional for probably the last, I don't know, eight to 10 years. <laughs> Uh, the reason that I, I, and I keep this in the top drawer of my desk. And as I, you know, at times, as I start to kind of feel like I'm straying from my investment process, I just reach into my desk and I take this out. And it's my, it is my reminder of (laughs) going back to your process. And, And really, and, and, you know, we all see variables and, you know, our brain just tends to be optimistic and we want to kind of Contort something to be, uh, it's almost that confirmation bias in all of us. And, you know, we want to look at a data point and see how that can support what we think. And when I start to, to catch myself doing that, I just reach into the desk drawer and pull out the MyFi card.
1: <laughs> There's a company called Octel, which was this turnaround, and I made a ton of money on the turnaround until I lost all of it in about four weeks. And I still remember Steve going through, this is in the nineties, going through my checks. Oh, I didn't, I don't need to call them uh, to see how things are going. Things are going fine. And so anytime, like I skip a step, Octel comes to my mind of like, don't skip that step because it could be very dangerous.
2: Yeah, because if I had gone through the process of disproving my investment thesis, I would have very quickly realized that Apple could put that capability into this phone with just a small chip and some software.
1: Jeff, you're nodding. What's going through your mind?
3: Oh, I mean, there's so many stories like that, uh, especially in technology where, you know, functions would become, you know, um, taken in. I think of modems or you know floppy disks, things like that. I mean, those were always just super dangerous investments. And I think uh, Brennan Bren and I were talking the other day about this issue around having a team that's worked together for a long time because, you know, we've all seen it, but if you did it, if you went through those experiences together, then you know, you at least one person or more would remind you, like, this is not a good place to be fishing, you know. So, yeah, I, I totally relate to
2: that. One of
1: our uh, Bryn long ago, one of our three orientations around money managers was, was teamwork. And our thought was that a team can either act very dysfunctionally and at odds with one another. And there's a, like a, a, fixed pie and a lot of, a lot of competition and knives stabbed in backs in our industry. Uh, we're not a real good culture, but teams can also help one another not go over drive over the cliff and so that building that team culture and getting the right people and then structuring everything sometimes that setup leads to you know that right question at the right time or just being able to say to your boss jeff or steve hey jeff i think you're making a mistake you know and that person being a 25 year old newbie who in another firm would never say that to the person who's in charge
0: yeah jeff when we were talking earlier you had mentioned that specifically the structure of the team and making sure that communication can go up and down in terms of age and seniority. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about the what you think um, in terms of the structure of how you set up teams and even set up the firm that helped with that?
3: Yeah, so there's pro- there's a there's a few core you know processes around that. One is that when you think about culture, it, I always. Thought the best definition is what's acceptable behavior and so one unacceptable behavior is for somebody senior to tell somebody junior like they don't know what they're doing you know because sometimes they have the most insight um because they come at it from a new place and so we really worked hard on making sure that if somebody has an opinion they have to express it and Actually, in the early early days of Wasatch, so this was like in the early '80s. It's, there was an event that happened. We had a, we were investing in Commodore Computer, which was like a the original, you know, Apple home computer. And me and uh, one other uh, of my colleagues were very bullish about that company. And the third wheel in our in our firm didn't like it, but he never said anything until. We lost all this money and then we were walking down the street one day and he said geez i never liked that we looked at him like what are you talking about like you never said a word so from that point on we were we were really really aggressive around making sure people felt safe challenging ideas and you know we and there's other processes we put in place like analysts there wasn't a difference between the function of an analyst and a portfolio manager other than the portfolio manager made the the final decision but like we travel together and portfolio managers were required to visit companies and and even take on stocks to um invest in because i think culturally if you have a portfolio manager who's kind of like if you think about him sort of like at the top of the pyramid you know when something goes wrong you can he can blame the analysts for getting him bad ideas and so, you know, we really pushed hard on that, creating a flat uh, investment structure where, um, you know, people really felt um, safe in, in, you know, saying what they, what they think. And we also just put a lot, this is just one last thing. We put a lot of time and effort into thinking about how to structure our firm ownership so that people stuck around a long time. So our portfolio managers, I don't know, the average tenure is something like 15 or 20 years. And so that just didn't happen. I mean, there are a lot of decisions that go into creating a stability like
1: that. Are there specific things, Jeff, that, do you remember uh, after that Commodore walking down the street, do you remember in like the, the following week or month where you specifically came up with a specific idea of how are we going to induce that that counter mm-hmm. that, in a practical fashion? Does something come to mind? Or how did you do that successfully? Is it mainly well, modeling it as a leader or?
3: Yeah, I think, again, I think it's culture. So it's, it's more of a behavioral issue as opposed to, you know, you put money on it or something like that is talking to everybody like, this is what happened. It's never gonna happen again. You have to really, and so it's just that attitude around, again, culture, like what's acceptable behavior? it's acceptable to challenge anybody and it's unacceptable to withhold your, your opinion. And so you just keep talking about it. Like, so it's a, it's how to structure a culture around what's acceptable and what's not, and what's good behavior and what's bad behavior.
2: You know, I would say that, you know, kind of, uh, working off of that is that, uh, and this is probably a new story that, uh, Uh, Bryn, that you and Pip have never heard was, uh, you know, my uh, entry into the work world, I actually, I was in a bank rotational program. And uh, my first rotation was through our human resource department. And uh, yes, the introvert was actually in the human resource department. But what I was, I was in the compensation area. And uh, yeah, did I love that job? Absolutely not. But You know, in every job I ever had, I'd learn something. And I'll tell you that that was probably one of the, you know, pivotal things in terms of my career was that, you know, understanding how to, that a compensation structure is the the impact of that is, is underestimated because what I, you know, figured out just in a very short time was people do what they're, what they're motivated to do and you have to tie that as close to their compensation structure as you can. And, you know, I thought about that a lot as I was building teams through my career. And, you know, we had, you know, a team of analysts. And, you know, part of our culture was that, you know, the interaction between, you know, between that analyst, between all of those analysts, because I always, I always thought that, you know, you put 10 people in a room you put 10 really smart people in a room and you should actually, it it should not be a linear effect. It should actually be exponential. And so how do you tie that? And you can say, yeah, you know what? We, we make sure that you know our analysts are interacting with each other and with portfolio managers. At the end of the day, you have to tie that to the compensation system or it's not going to happen.
1: So Steve, was there ever a point, because you worked in some large organizations, your yeah. team was housed in some large organization. Was there ever a point where someone from above came and said, oh, just to let you know, Steve, we're going to do some stuff with the compensation. We'll just send you a memo where you had to go to the mat because you said, oh, this is going to totally blow up my team.
2: It happened in every organization that I worked in. I will tell you that it happened in every single one.
1: And what would what would go down? And like, is this just like you knew you were gonna have to fight this fight to the death if you had to, type thing? And yeah, some of
2: them I did fight to the death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that important. I mean, it 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 really was, you know, if you ask me what are the three underlying things that make this work, that was absolutely in the top three. I have, I have an
3: I have an incredible story on it, if I may. Uh, Cause I a hundred percent agree with what Steven said. So we had, so every year at Wasatch Global, we had, we gave, we sent out a, a survey to all our employees and just, there were all these questions about everything, you know, culture, you know, how do we treat our customer? How do we treat our employees, all this stuff. And the number one dissatisfied issue was compensation. And, you know, and it was always like, well, you know people make decent amounts money, what's the issue here? And the issue it turns out was that at the end of the year, the bonuses got paid out um, by like a group of board members. And, you know, we tried to explain how we paid it out and everything, but like there was just this distrust that was created. And because it felt like a, you know, like what do you call it? Like a smoking or, you know, like a bunch of people getting in a dark room with cigars and stuff and figuring it out. And so, when i became ceo i decided to change the way we did it and what we did is we took the uh, we created a compensation committee and we brought two people from our research department and we they rotated around every year and they got to come in and create and set up everybody's bonus which is crazy like i had friends in the industry say that's the dumbest idea i've ever heard in my life and the thing that was so great about it is we picked two of the people that were most dissatisfied of the system and brought them in and they had to make everybody's create everybody's bonus and you could see the there's a psychological word for it i'm sure like you know where they're you could see almost smoke coming out of their brains because now all of a sudden they're the man you know like they're the woman whatever <laughs> and uh you know they went back into the firm and just told all their friends like this is really hard and i'm like yeah it's really hard that's what we've been telling you and and it just and like those that dissatisfaction of pay like completely disappeared.
1: Wow! And it was yeah. so important to you that at the time, did you know that was going to work, or when you like made the first call to the person to say who was like the the you know curmudgeon in the system and they'll, yeah. I may blow up the entire firm, right? But <laughs> something interesting is going to happen. Like, what was your confidence level that that was going to work, Jeff?
3: Well, I kind of, I guess I have a a strange sense of humor because I thought it'd be really fun to watch, you know, so that was my, (laughs) and, uh, but I kind of, that was just the idea that we, you know, that we came up with, like, how do we break this, uh, this thing? If I guess the way you break a closed room with cigar smoke is you open the room up and air it out. And, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of that's a frightening thing, I think, for a lot of companies, you know, for anybody. It was always a little scary, but I figured, you know, what the heck.
0: Steve, when you were um, when you were going to bat for these changes or, you know, or to keep things the same in terms of compensation, are there one or two things that really get you upset about how compensation is done traditionally that you were able to fight to not have that happen? Or like what specifically about compensation gets you going?
2: Uh, You know, I would say it's two things. And the first, you know, had to do with a just, I think, kind of a structural thing in the industry where, you know, we we as investment people like to cut things up in these nice, neat little packages, and we call them sectors. There are a lot of interconnections in these sectors. And, you know, there was a really, I think, a lack of understanding about you know, why we tied so much compensation to the overall performance of the strategy rather than the individual. And and the reason for that was because, look, just because we wanted to cut things up and have this nice, neat structure and call something industrials and something financials and something technology, you go out into actually into the real world and these things are all connected. And, you know, that, that was the kind of the first thing of, you know, getting people to understand how important that was, and I would say the second thing and it goes, to, you know, to Jeff's point, and I, I, I mean, to sit here and listen to that story, uh, you know, the whole issue around the one of the major issues around compensation is just transparency. And, you know, at the end of the day, how, how does this work? And, you know, I never really understood, you know, why we just didn't have complete transparency around things, because, You know, you you, you, you know, when people understand how a decision is made, it, you know, it tends to be taken a lot better.
0: I think there's an, people outside the industry might underestimate what can happen when decisions are made around these structures. So like around the calendar year, for example, because that's when you're marked, your performance is marked. And that's pretty standard in our industry, that you get some sort of, that's sort of your um, your grade point average, so to speak, is tied to where your performance was from Jan 1 to December 31st. And it that seems, you know, like Steve, you've talked about that, that what that does to decision making when it doesn't serve the client who's hoping for investment returns over, you know, hopefully 10 years or so. What do you think that happened? What what's the impact on decision making with that?
2: Yeah, you know one of the things that we wrestled with for a, you know for a long time is you know w- what is that time period that you're looking at for performance because you know a a time period and you know is really an arbitrary thing you know a, a one year isn't is that time period is arbitrary it's in the in the markets and and in investing. We hold ourselves to these arbitrary time periods that we call a year. You know, now that I'm you know away from the business and you know, I, I don't invest in an arbitrary time frame. I invest over a long period of time. But the industry tends to hold us to these things that are like one year, two year, three year. And you, you know, I've always worried about or thought about and then worried about the degree to which that impacts how we make decisions. I mean you can even take it another step and say alright is this actually causing dislocations in the in the financial markets and i think it, you know one of the things i've paid a lot even more attention to since i've you know been away from the business is you know the whole idea of behavioral finance and how you know how these things will actually you know impact how we make decisions as investors and i think that that you know that arbitrary time frame that the industry holds itself to i think has a major impact
1: to throw one thing in from my experience growing up was that new investment recommendations in our firm completely dropped off the cliff from, say, October 15th on as we were getting closer to bonus season. It was just like, if you're in the doghouse, just shut up and stay in the doghouse and don't bring attention to you. If you're having a great year, you attribution analysis, it's you, then just shut up because, you know, why are you going to like do something like that? And it just drove me nuts it was like at bare minimum just pay out the bonuses a couple times a year three four times a year if you're in a small firm and just get rid of that being in the in the minds of anyone Uh, easier said than done of course one thing Bryn that I loved what I heard from Jeff and Steve is their think correct me if I'm wrong but I love how Jeff said yeah everyone's making a lot of money so what's the problem the point of the compensation system is not so people get paid well or fairly. Like, our clients don't care about that. Our clients care about great decision making processes. Now, if people think that they can't trust the management team, then that's going to hurt and harm in all sorts of ways. So we want to have that trust. But it's really about, I love how both of them were like, no, the purpose is to get the result of the great decision making, not, you know, pay in and of itself, which often our industry is accused of. Mm-hmm.
0: points from this first conversation with Jeff and Steve. I love where we started with Steve's MyFi card and that it was a reminder to him of a time when he forgot his process. And I think we could all probably make some sort of mascot or talisman related to sticking to our process. Second one, culture and Jeff's uh, mantra that an older person can't make a younger person think they don't know what they're talking about in their firm. I just admire how explicitly that was stated and that it fell out of intention that it must be okay to challenge ideas. So, these almost like second derivative um, thoughts that we can have about culture and behavior, that might be where the magic is and where you actually find something that can be input into your culture through very simple language like that. And the last one is. When we were talking about the compensation process, we actually came up with a great question. And so, what if we all looked at our compensation process through that lens and asked the question okay, the way we do comp, is it negatively affecting decision making in any way? You know, I just wonder from that lens what might fall out from that inquiry. Last thing, next week we'll hear part two with Jeff and Steve. There's more on culture, more stories, and a couple of fun outtakes. Thanks for listening.